1: This is the Rich Dad Radio Show,
2: the good news and bad news about money. Here's Robert Kiyosaki.
0: Hello, 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 Robert Kiyosaki, the Rich Dad Radio Show, the good news and bad news about money. And today we have the single most important show of your life. And the reason for that is we have a very dear friend, but one, in my opinion, one of the greatest minds of our times. You know, there are sages of the time. And this gentleman, our guest today is that person. I mean, some of you have heard of him. His name is James Rickards. And I started with his book, Currency Wars. I've read all of his books up to that. The other thing I like about Jim is that he puts his books on audiobooks, and I can actually hear him read his books. So I was listening to Road to Ruin all the way through Montana. <laughs> For, and it was the most exciting but frightening book I've ever listened to an audio tape. I'd already read the book, but to listen to Jim speak, it was incredible. Any comments, Kim?
3: Well, Jim's one of the, one of the smartest guys we know. And what's fascinating also is that he was a national security advisor for the Pentagon and the CIA. So there's probably things he can't tell us or he'll ha- he'll have to kill us. So uh, no, just a super good guy and uh, author last book he wrote was the ca- new case for gold. He wrote death of money, currency wars, road to ruin. His latest book is called aftermath and it was published 2019. I think we're in the aftermath. We'll find out.
0: So anyway, other thing is that uh, well, we happily announced and proudly announced that Jim and I are going to get together. And in 2021, we're coming out with our book called the Ravens. It was put on hold because of COVID. The Raven was the bird of a prophecy in Greek mythology. And so The Ravens is about what's going to happen after 2020. So Jim and I will be writing the book, The Ravens. I'm excited to read it myself because I don't know what I'm going to be writing, but it's how you predict the future into the future.
3: And, and one last thing too is Jim also has a financial newsletter. And once you hear this interview, you're probably going to want to sign up for it. It's called Strategic Intelligence.
0: So let me, let me give you the agenda because we only have two 20 minute slots so Jim has been calling, and he's not a guesser, he is a mathematician, he's unbelievable. He's calling for gold to hit fifteen thousand dollars by twenty twenty-five. That's five less than five years from now. And so he doesn't guess at it. He's not pulling numbers out of air, he's not trying to sell gold, he's not doing anything. That's just the way his brain works. So the question today, these are the four questions I'm going to ask Jim in these two 20 minute slots. And I call them the fire hose because once you get started, you can't stop them. So I'm not going to interrupt him. <clears throat> so first question I'm going to ask Jim is what does the rising price of gold mean? See, it it's not good news. Goal hitting 15,000 an ounce means something has really screwed up in the economy. So he's going to be talking more what's behind the price of gold. Number two is why is Buffett dumping bank shares and buying gold and silver? The third question is: what's the difference between bonds versus gold? And four is what does he expect? Inflation or deflation, and subjects like that. So those are the four questions. So stay tuned to this most important rich dad radio program for your financial future. So welcome to the program, my friend, Jim records.
3: Welcome Jim. Thank
0: you, Robert. Thank you, Kim. Thank you for
2: the very uh, kind introduction and uh, you're right. I'm very excited about the Ravens. Uh, we're working on it now. Uh, we'll you know, be announcing publication date, but uh looks like that'll drop in 2021. And it's uh it's going to be one of a kind book and I'm very excited to be co-authoring with you, Robert. So uh, that'll be, it'll be fun to get it out
0: there. Yeah. Thank you. So for question number one, Okay. So you're calling for gold to hit $15,000. And if anybody wants to find out Jim's logic behind it, he goes into great detail on YouTube about how he, how he derives $15,000. My question to Jim is this, what's causing that? You see, there's something very, very sick inside the economy and in our monetary system to be driving gold that high. So question number one, Jim, why is the price of gold rising? What's going on in the economy?
2: Right. Uh, It's sort of a a two-part answer, Robert. One is uh, exactly as you put it, why is is gold going up? What's going on? What's the basis for predicting $15,000 an ounce by 2025, which I do? But then also, what what does it really mean? Is that uh, you said it's not a good thing. And, and I agree. It's not a good thing for the economy. It's not a good thing for for most markets. If you have gold, you can pat yourself on the back and say, yeah, I made a lot of money on gold. But it, that might be in a world where you're losing a lot of money on other things. And you need to be alert alert to the overall economic picture. So let's take this one at a time. You know, the gold $15,000 an ounce, it's, it comes out of three different analyses that actually don't correlate to each other. other words, you do it one way, you get a number. You do it another way, you get a number. You do it a third way, you get a number. It was interesting that they all came out, not exactly to the penny, but very close to that $15,000 number. So the first way to do it is just, uh, it's a little bit of technical analysis, not overly technical. We're in the third great bull market in gold in history. When I say in history, you're like, well, gee, history is a long time. How come this is only the third bull market? Well, the answer is for almost all of history up until 1971, gold was money. So you didn't have bull markets or bear markets. It was just gold. That was the money. And you thought about it by weight. You say, well, I'll give you an ounce of gold for this property or I'll give you you know, a quarter ounce for you know, some food or uh, groceries or whatever. So you thought about gold by weight. It was money, constant store value. It so it's really only since 1971 when Nixon suspended redemption of uh, dollars for gold by our foreign trading partners that gold just went its own way, detached from the dollar. So the dollar would do what it was gonna do, and, and gold had, it, had its own market and still does. Um, the first great bull market was 1971 to 1980, uh, and gold went up over 2,000%, from $35 an ounce to $800 an ounce in January 1980. Then there was like a long, drawn-out, almost 20-year uh, bear market from 1980 to 1999, Uh, And gold dropped down to around 250. So it went from the 800 level down to 250. The second great bull market was from 1999 to 2011. August 2011, gold went from $250 an ounce to $1,900 an ounce. That was an almost 700% gain. Then the second bear market, August 2011 to December 2015. The third bull market, I can give you the exact date December 16th, 2015. Gold hit $1,050 an ounce. That was the bottom of the second bear market I described, a pretty steep fall from the 1900 level. But you could tell it was the bottom. You say, well, how do you know that? Um, I had a conversation with our friend Jim Rogers, one of the greatest traders in general, and certainly one of the greatest commodity traders of all time. And this was before that market bottom, when it was still going down. And I said, Jim, um, we were down in the Dominican Republic. I said, Jim, are you buying gold? And he said, no. He said, I've I'm, I've got gold. I'm keeping the gold I have. I'm not buying more right now because it hasn't hit bottom. And then he he gave me one of the best pieces of advice I've ever had. He said, Jim, nothing goes from here to the moon. Without a fifty percent drawdown along the way, it'll, it'll get there, but it'll go up, down fifty percent, and then back up for the really big, you know, sort of hyperbolic price move. We so said, you, you have to expect that's true of all commodities. Well, taking that advice and then you know look at the charts. Well, starting at nineteen hundred, if you say okay, it was, it was two fifty, was 1999, 1900 was August two thousand eleven. So there was that game. I said so two hundred fifty to uh, to nineteen hundred, so there was that gain of uh, seventeen. Uh, uh, sorry, sixteen fifty one thousand six hundred fifty dollars an ounce of gain. Take half of that; as eight hundred twenty five. So take nineteen hundred minus eight twenty five, and guess where you come out? You come out right at uh, you know right at uh, ten seventy five. And so uh, when I saw ten fifty, I said bingo. There's the fifty percent drawdown. It's exactly what Jim Rogers said would happen. That's the bottom and it's up about 50% from there. Now, it's been a little bit higher than that, but it's up about 50% from there. So there's your third bull market, but here's the point, Robert. If the first bull market was up 2,000%, and the second bull market was up 700%, if you just take the average of those two, you don't have to pick the higher of the two, you don't have to go crazy, say it will be bigger than ever, it could be, but you don't have to do that. If you just take the average of those two, you would come up with a number around uh, 1,400% gain from where we, from from the 1050. Well, that would put you at almost $15,000 an ounce. So, in other words, at, and the same time period, the first bull market was uh, eight years, uh, was, uh, sorry, nine years. The second bull market was 12 years. Just take the average, you get 10 and a half years. So, from December 2015, just using the averages, not anything crazy, 10 and a half years up, you know, 1,500%. Bingo, it puts you at $15,000 an ounce in 2025. And by the way, don't wait. If you if you agree with that analysis, there's more to back it up. Don't wait until 2025. People say, oh, okay, well, it's going to be $15,000 an ounce. I'll go out and get it in 2024. You know, I'll catch the wave. No, it's it, It's a long way between here and $1,500. I mean, you got to get to $3,000, $4,000, $5,000, $6,000. 7,000, et cetera. You've got a long way to go to 15,000. So why not get, get the gold now, which I do recommend, and then enjoy all those profits. Don't wait to the end, because it could happen. There could be like a little spike at the end. So, uh, by the way,
0: by the way, this is October 2020 and gold's approximately with premium about 2000 an ounce. So it sounds expensive today, but at 2025, you're going to say, I should have bought it in, 2020.
2: I should have bought it in 2015, but that's okay. Most most of the gains are here to come. The other thing that people don't understand, Robert, is just this is sixth grade math. You know, you don't need calculators for this. Each a thousand dollar gain is a thousand dollar gain. If you have an ounce of gold and it goes up a thousand dollars an ounce, you just made a thousand dollars. That's real money. But because you're working off a higher base, each thousand dollar gain is a smaller percentage than the one before. So when you move from two thousand dollars to three thousand dollars an ounce, that's a fifty percent gain. But when you move from fourteen thousand to fifteen thousand, it's only a seven percent gain. So that's why these bull markets get, get a lot of their gains toward the end because seven percent—that's a week—and you're not going to—you might have to wait a while to get to three thousand. But if you're at fourteen, you're not going to wait long to get to fifteen. A seven percent could be a one-week rally. So in other words, those thousand-dollar increments. Are smaller percentages and easier to achieve the further along you go. One more reason to get the gold now. So,
0: so that's why you've, you've talked about it. It goes parabolic. It goes. Correct. But uh, again, a thousand bucks is a
2: thousand bucks. It's the same amount of money, but it's a smaller percentage, which means it's easier to hit. And so the, the hard work is right now, kind of getting to three, 000, four thousand, which it will. But uh, it can really take off from there. Hundred dollar days are going to be the norm. $1,000 weeks are not gonna be unusual, and they'll be more and more frequent as we move along. So that's one analysis. The second analysis is um, if you just use a monetary analysis, I'm not saying we're going to go on a gold standard. We may, right now there's not a central bank in the world that wants a gold standard, not one, they hate it. But they may be forced to go to it or something like it because if, if confidence is lost in, in government money and in, in fiat money, uh, they may have to turn it to gold, not because they want to, but because they have to, to restore confidence. So what's that math? Well, um, the, the global money supply is about, um, I'm using M1 and the major economies, which is about 80% of global GDP, uh, is about 33 trillion. Uh, and there happen to be about 34,000 tons of official gold. That's not all the gold in the world. That's the official gold held by central banks and so forth. Well, you just do, just do the division. Okay, divide the the 33, tri- uh, sorry, take the, take the 33 trillion and just say you need 40% backing. Some people would say 100%, but you know historically 40% has worked pretty well. So you need about a $12 or $13 trillion worth of gold uh, to back up that money. Well, if you have 34,000 tons and you need about $13 trillion of gold to back up the money supply, what does that come to? We'll just divide by one by the other, and again, you get a number uh, close to $14,000 an ounce. So there are two completely independent methods. one is the technical historical look, the other one is the monetary look based on money supply. but interestingly they come out in the same place uh, and then there are other there are other ways of, of getting to to the same uh, the same answer. so so that's uh, I feel very strong I feel it's a very uh, solid kind of analysis to get to that number but the other part of your question Robert is, Okay, what does it mean? Isn't it? Isn't this great? Well, gold's going up. I'm making a lot of money. Well, maybe you are and other people are who have gold, and I certainly recommend it. But to me, the price of gold never changes. I think of gold by weight. You have an ounce, you have a kilo, you have a ton, you have a 400 ounce bar, whatever you may have. If the dollar price of gold is going up, what's really happening is that the value of the dollar is going down. Because gold is a constant store of value. So if all of a sudden, you know, if $2,000 gets me an ounce, but we get to a world where it takes $5,000 to get me an ounce, what happened? The value of the dollar went down. I need two and a half times more dollars to get the same ounce. So a high dollar price of gold is, is, again, good for gold holders, but not close for celebration because it means the complete and utter collapse of the U.S. dollar. That's what happened in the 70s, and that's what's happening now.
0: And so then the next question is then, you know, Buffett, who has really trashed gold for a long time, he also trashes Bitcoin. I think he called it rat poison or rat droppings. He called Bitcoin mm-hmm. that, and I kind of laughed because he also said the same thing about Apple stocks. <laughs> but, <laughs> but Warren Buffett, you know, he, he just started selling his banking shares and he bought into Barrick. So from Jim Ricketts point of view, what do you think is going on in Buffett's mind?
2: Well, a couple of things. The reason for dumping the banking shares is, you know, I was, there were good. I was at the council, of the city bank for 10 years, so I know a little bit about the banking business. The way, you, the way you make money is you borrow short, lend long. You borrow at a low rate and lend at a higher rate, and you keep the difference. And you got fees and credit losses and lots of complications, but that's pretty much what the banking business has always been. Well, if uh, interest rates are zero uh, all across the yield curve, you know, as if you're borrowing close to zero, maybe 25 basis points and you're lending close to zero, maybe 1% or less, how do you make money? The answer is you can't. You can make a little bit of money, you can leverage it a little bit, but you don't make enough money to cover your credit losses and your expenses and your overhead and uh, fees and, and uh, a lot of other uh, costs associated with that. So the flatter the yield curve, here's a, here's a 10-year rate and here's a, you know overnight rate. If it's like this, you can make all this money in between. You're taking risk in terms of timing, but you don't have to take a lot of credit risk. But if it's flat, you can't make any money. So he's dumping the banking shares because they can't make money. Why would you buy back? Well, he obviously likes gold. That goes without saying. But Berkshire Hathaway, which is Buffett's investment vehicle, is so big, so big. We're talking, you know, upwards of a trillion dollars. You can't buy junior miners. You know, that they, they, junior miners can be very, very attractive investments, but they don't move the needle at Berkshire Hathaway. You've got to be spending... A half a billion dollars just to kind of get on the list. Well, there are only a couple of mining companies in the world that are that big. Newmont, Barrick, uh, IM Gold, there are a few, but that's it. So, so Buffett's not going to be buying junior miners anywhere. He doesn't have the time and the ability to track them. He needs a big name and Barrick is one of the best. Interestingly, the way Barrick's going to make their money, they'll make money in gold for sure and their stock price will go up. And it's a smart move by Buffett. But they're not going to make it by exploring. They're going to make it by buying junior miners. That's why for some, for an investor a little bit smaller than Berkshire Hathaway, the junior miners can be attractive.
0: So, so Barrick will start buying junior miners. That's the plan. Yeah, because okay, they, they, they
2: don't have the time to go out and explore and produce and take all that risk. They'll so just look at. They'll just wait until other people do hit a good gold mine. Prove it out. Start mining. Start producing. Then they'll just buy that company and add it to their output.
0: So how how much would Buffett be thinking about the price of gold rising? So you know, Kim and I started a gold mine in China, which was a big mistake. But anyway, because they they took it, (laughs) yeah, right. And they took the gold in the ground. They didn't take our mine. They just took the gold in the in the ground.
2: They put their straw in your
0: milkshake. Exactly.
3: Exactly what they did.
0: (laughs) Well, that's called help yourself, you know, anyway, but I'm still a little upset about that, Jim. But anyway, the point is here, he's buying gold in the ground too. in in the anticipation of gold going up in price. Is that any? Sure. Yeah. I mean, and for that
2: matter, a gold mining company is a leverage bet on gold just because of the, the economics, Uh, you know, you have fixed costs and variable costs, Well, once you cover your fixed costs, and assuming you can control your variable costs, as the price of gold goes up, all that money goes straight to the bottom line. Initially, you got a lot you got capital costs and you know, leasing and geological surveys and all kinds of things. But once you get producing and you've covered your fixed costs, a lot of the incremental price of gold goes to the bottom line. The stock market gives you a multiple of that. So, so the answer is, if gold's going to go up uh, five times, which I expect it will or, or more, a mining stock could go up 25 or 50 times just because of the economics of stocks versus gold.
3: So okay. let me get just a question back to the banks. What, you, When you're saying they're not going to be able to make money, what's the predi- What's your prediction on banks? Are, they, are we losing the banks? Is their system going to change?
2: No, the banks are necessary. They may, may not be everyone's favorite institutions, but they are necessary. The big ones will not be allowed to fail. We know they're too big to fail. So they're almost like utilities, like the electric company or the phone company or something like that. They're not going to fail but they don't have to be particularly profitable. And uh, that's what Buffett's saying, is that, yeah, you'll be around, Citibank will be around in 10 years, but may not may, may find it extremely difficult to make a lot of money in this environment. So get out of it.
0: Okay, it's Robert Kiyosaki, Rich Radio Show. We're talking to a great friend and a um, person tremendous respect for Jim Records. Get his books. I mean, every time I read his books, it, every book is different. It just blows my mind. It, I mean, it's how big this world of money is.
3: And also, his financial newsletter, strategic intelligence, is chock full of lots of Jim Rickards' wisdom, <laughs> wisdom, lots of and wisdom.
0: years of personal experiences. And, experience. and the thing, you know, some of his books, he talks about being with the CIA and what he saw from the inside. Holy moly! I mean, <laughs> what he saw from the inside—it's—it's it's worse than you think. So he comes from a—he's a—he's much of a gentleman. He doesn't name names but there's a lot of Frito Banditos out there running our economy. So when we come back, we'll be asking Jim uh, two more questions. What's the difference in bond versus gold? And are we looking at inflation or deflation? We'll be right back.
1: Do you know what Robert Kiyosaki always says? Good deals always find money, but does your money always find good deals? That is an important question. Wish you were in early on some of the best performing IPOs of 2019 and 2020. With our crowd, accredited investors have access to invest directly, easily, and most importantly, early. Our crowd investors have benefited from our crowd companies IPOing like Beyond Meat or being bought by companies like Intel, Nike, Microsoft, and Oracle. Why our crowd? Our crowd's investment professionals leverage their extensive network to review some of the most promising private companies and startups in the world. Can you do that? And listen to this. Once our crowd has selected a deal, they offer accredited investors the opportunity to invest alongside them with the same terms. Who else does that? They put their money where their mouth is. If you follow the rich dad philosophy, then you know you must make your money work for you so you can stop working. Our crowd can help. Today, you can join our crowd's investment in Tevel, an ag industry innovator that is positioned to help save billions every year by harvesting fruit that's now left to rot. Tevel's AI-powered flying robots pick, thin and prune orchards, helping mitigate the global shortage of fruit pickers while offering cost savings up to 30%. You can get in early on Tevel and other unique opportunities at ourcrowd.com/richdad. If you're interested in investing, you need to join ourcrowd. The ourcrowd account is free, just go to ourcrowd.com/richdad. While everyone else is trying to get that top-secret Inside Trading Lotto score, Rich Dad fans know there's a better way. Investing for cash flow. The best tool for cash flow? Real estate. In fact, real estate has made more millionaires than any other asset class. But it can be expensive. It also moves very slow, and if you want in on one of the big deals, you have to already be rich enough to be an accredited investor. But. What if there was another way to invest in real estate? A new way to invest in real estate that anyone can do and without much money. Now there is. Thanks to Fundrise, Fundrise makes it easy for all investors to build a portfolio of institutional quality real estate investments. So whether you're just starting to invest in real estate or looking to add more, our friends at Fundrise have you covered. Here's how. Fundrise is an investing platform that makes investing in high quality, high potential real estate as easy as investing in your favorite stock. Whether you're looking to add stable cash flow via dividends or prefer long-term growth through appreciation, Fundrise has you covered. To date, Fundrise is Manages more than $1 billion in assets for 130,000 plus investors. And since 2014, the Fundrise platform has averaged 8.7 to 12.4% annual returns, and investors have earned more than $79 million in dividends alone. Fundrise, this team of real estate professionals, carefully vets and actively manages all of their real estate projects. And with their easy to use website, you can track your portfolio's performance and watch as properties across the country are acquired improved and operated via asset updates. Start building your better portfolio today. Get started at FundRise.com slash Rich Dad to have your first 90 days of advisory fees waived. That's F-U-N-D-R-I-S-E dot com slash Rich Dad to have your first 90 days of advisory fees waived. FundRise.com slash Rich Dad. At Rich Dad, we always say that investing is a team sport. Maybe FundRise should be on your team unless you already have a way to invest with a big dog. So if you want to invest in real estate without spending hundreds of thousands of dollars or are looking for a new way to invest for cash flow or want to stop buying small single-family home investments and want in on the big multifamily investments, then check out Fundrise and start building your better portfolio today. Get started at Fundrise.com slash to have your first 90 days of advisory fees waived. That's F-U-N-D-R-I-S-E dot richdad slash to have your first 90 days of advisory fees waived fundrise.com slash richdad
2: support for this podcast comes from cdw and dell technologies
0: Welcome back, Robert Kiyosaki, The Rich Dad Radio Show, the good news and bad news about money. Today we're talking about the good news and bad news about gold, but what it means to the economy if the price of gold goes up. Our guest today is a uh, dear friend, Jim Records. He is the author of this incredible books. The first book of Rec was Currency Wars. It's how we fight, you know, there's no more, not shooting people's planes down, we just shoot them down by changing the value of our money, purchasing powers.
3: And his latest book was Aftermath, which was published last year. So we'll see how that plays out.
0: And then you can listen to the Rich Dad Radio Show anytime, anywhere on iTunes, Android, and YouTube. And please please leave us a review when you listen. And all of our our, our programs are archived at richdadradio.com. We archive our programs so you can listen to them again because repetition is how we learn best. You listen to this program again, you pick up twice as much. But more importantly, ask friends, family, and business associates to listen to this program and discuss it. If you listen and discuss, You'll be a genius. So anyway, it's got a rich Dad Any comments, Kim?
3: Well, I just, I love listening to Jim because he's a wealth of information, but also he just makes sense. It just makes sense. You know, people say, Oh, the price of gold is going through the roof, but they have no backing or no, no calculation for it. And this just makes sense. And I also like Jim, what you said about Buffett and Hathaway Berkshire Hathaway. He's just looking how to, where to make money. Right. right. I mean, the banks aren't going to make money, but the mining companies are going to make money. And especially if you're into the junior, uh, the, the junior mines, you might want to get into that, right? Because they're going to be bought up by big well, guys. That,
0: that, that's what Kim and I started. We, we didn't start a junior mine. We started a mini mine. <laughs> and, <laughs> and it turned into <laughs> a big mine. <laughs> we, we made a big mistake of hitting a lot of gold in China. And then the, the CCP, the, you know, the Chinese Communist Party helped themselves to it. So they don't take intellectual property, they take real property too. <laughs> well, they take both. <laughs> <laughs> they do. <laughs> and we had already listed our, our business on the Toronto Stock Exchange, and they didn't care that we were a publicly listed company. They just took it. Right. Anyway, yeah. um, we're gonna get into bonds versus scholars, because Jim mentioned one of the most important dates in history it was August 15th, 1971. <laughs> that was the day that President Nixon went on the TV show Bonanza and said, hey, by the way, I'm gonna steal all your money. I'm going to take the gold, let me the dollar off the gold standard, and after that, then bonds became better than gold. Technically, you know what I mean, and and so that's why so many old guys are trapped in the. We've been in this bull, you know, raging bull market in bonds, and that may change if the yield curves change again and interest rates go up. So the the the, the contention has been between bondholders and gold holders. So Jim, could you mind explaining a little bit more differential between bonds and gold?
2: When I talk about bonds, I'm talking about U.S., the U.S. government securities, U.S. Treasury securities, or I might talk about Japanese government bonds, so-called bonds, which are German government benchmark bonds, et cetera. I'm not really talking about corporate bonds, we could, but you know, the problem with corporate bonds—they have the economics of bonds, but they also have all the credit risk of stocks, and they're very idiosyncratic. There's probably some good corporate bonds out there, and there's some you wouldn't touch with a 10-foot bowl because they're going to go bankrupt. So I'll keep away from the corporate sector. That's I'm familiar with it, but that's not my area of expertise. So I'm talking about bonds. I'm really talking about U.S. Treasuries, unless I, you know, specify one of the major uh, other global benchmark bond markets. Uh, but um, you know, bond math is. Not as hard as uh, you know, some people make it sound, uh, This this easiest rule, a little counterintuitive, but when interest rates go down, the price of the bonds goes up. And when interest rates go up, the price of the bond goes down. And the reason for that is if you have a bond with a certain coupon and interest rates go up, uh, a new buyer is going to want that new bond. So hey, give me that higher coupon. Well, I got this other bond over here. Or it's got a lower coupon. It's like, well, you, you have to sell that to me at a discount. Is I need to get a comp for the fact that it doesn't have as high an interest rate. So simple as that. Interest rates up, prices down. Interest rate down, prices up. That's how the bond market works. So the thing with the bond market right now, here's your bond market. Is you know you hear people say, well, interest rates are at an all-time low. They've been going down for thirty years, which they have. Uh, they can't go any lower. Actually, they've been going down for forty years, almost forty years. Uh, they can't go any lower, you know, short bonds, it's the bubble, you know, get out. Uh, bonds have nowhere to go but down, interest rates are going up, et cetera. And you hear this from big names, Bill Gross, uh, Dan, uh, I look at uh, PIMCO, uh, Jeff Gunlock is a very famous uh, investor. And they've been getting carried out feet first, one after the other. They've been wrong every single time. And the reason is that they're not distinguishing between... Real rates and nominal rates. And what's the difference? Nominal rates—that's the rates you see. On, those are the rates you see on TV. You look at the screen right now. The ten-year Treasury note yields uh, about seventy basis points, give or take. Um, you know, et cetera. And you can look at the yield and everybody. That's the nominal rate. That's the rate they pay you if you buy a, a new one apart. The real rate is the nominal rate minus inflation, and that's what counts. Real rates are what motivate people. If real rates are low. Uh, Yeah, that's when people borrow, they'll invest, they'll start a new plan or equipment, they'll they'll buy a house, whatever it may be. So nominal rates are low, yeah, that's certainly true, but real rates are still pretty high. They're slightly negative. For example, I said 10-year Treasury note yield of maturity right now is about 70 basis points. What's inflation? Uh, Using the Fed's preferred metric, it's about 1.6%. Uh, and so you've got a uh, ninety basis point negative real yield. Real, real rates are negative ninety basis points. You know, not even one percent. You're losing money, but that's that's a very that's still a very high rate in a weak economy in an economy that's in a, a depression. What we call the new Great Depression. Now, in 1980, I borrowed money at 13, and my poor mother would cry because her first mortgage was like 2% and here I was getting a 13% mortgage. I said, mom, but what you have to understand is yeah, the interest rate is 13%, but inflation was 15%. So my real rate was negative two and I was paying mortgage interest, which was tax deductible. Taxes were 50% percent five zero, So I got a full tax deduction for that because I was living in New York. <laughs> so, so the point is my real rate, my real after tax rate, after inflation, and after taxes was negative eight and a half. That's a low real rate. So, yeah, I was happy to borrow 13%. It was the cheapest money I ever got because it was negative 8.5 once you adjust it, adjust it for inflation and taxes. Today, it's only negative, uh, not even negative 1%. So real rates are quite high. Uh, not only rates are low, real rates are high, but real rates are the ones that count. So where can rates go from here? I don't see the Fed um, going to a negative, negative interest rate. So, you know, a negative target on Fed funds rates. It is possible. Uh, I can't roll it out completely, but I don't see any indication that the Fed's going there. They have tried it in Europe, Switzerland, Japan, and Sweden, and a few other places. It doesn't work. It's not stimulus. They call it that, but it isn't. So if you don't, so the zero bound is-, is
0: Wait, so Jim, so Jim a, a negative interest rate means if I put money in a bank, I get less money back over time.
2: Correct, you put $100,000 in the bank, you go away for a year, and you come back, and your account says ninety-nine thousand dollars. That's negative one percent interest rate. So that's that's what um, that, that, that's what you're up against. So they take the money away. Now, how does that work? However, you can have negative rates in the bond market, even if the Fed funds rate is zero. How does that work? It happens through secondary market trading. So let's say a bond is um, you know the bond is issued par and has a certain strip of coupons associated with it. You're going to get paid a certain amount of interest over the life of the bond. What if I come along as a secondary market buyer and I pay you a premium for that bond? I pay you over par, so it's a par is 100, I pay you 105 or 110, whatever it may be. The minute the premium is higher than the strip of interest coming in, my yield to maturity is negative. I'm not going to get my money back, meaning I can get all my principal back, all the interest, and all that money together is not going to be more than I paid for that bond. So that's a negative yield of maturity. So my point being, bonds can produce a negative yield of maturity through secondary market trading, even if the Fed sticks to zero. And why would you do that, by the way? Well, one, one answer might be, in a deflationary environment, the real value of the money could be higher. Another reason would be, if you thought it was going to get worse, somebody might pay you more. You could still make a capital gain on a bond, even with a negative yield of maturity. But the point being, and just one little, one more little quick piece of bond math. So, how much? I said prices of bonds go up when interest rates go down, which is true. How much? Well, the answer is it's not constant. It varies depending on the level of interest rates, something called the DBO one the dollar value of one basis point. How much does my bond go up for every one basis point decline in yield? Well, so let's say I cut interest rates from 9% to eight and three quarters. That's the 25 basis point cut. Let's say I cut interest rates from 25 basis points to zero. That's a 25 basis point cut. Those two 25 basis points do not produce the same gains. The second one produces a much larger capital gain because the DBO one is higher. So in other words, when you're at low rates, low levels of rates, which we are right now, every basis point decline in rates produces a bigger capital gain than if the same thing were happening at higher level of interest rates. So this could be one of the greatest bond market rallies in history. Starting from 70 basis points, if you get to negative 1% yield maturity through secondary market trading, those are huge capital gains. So don't think about So you're
0: saying if the bond rates keep going down, bond prices keep going up.
2: The capital gains. Well, not yet, yes, but not only do they keep going up, they go up faster when rates are this low. So your capital gains potential is huge. Now, your, your original question, Robert, was, well, what about gold versus bonds? What's up there? Uh, to me, I don't have to resolve that debate because I would say have both. You know, I, of course, I like gold and I recommend gold, but I recommend 10%. Some investors are higher, season to taste. But, but the point is, if you have 10% in gold, you've got the other 90% of your portfolio. What are you going to do with that? Well, I would have a slice for 10-year treasury notes for the reasons we just discussed. I'd have cash, there's room for equities and alternatives and, and all that. But you can have bonds and gold side by side, and that may be an ideal portfolio.
0: So no, this is, this is what I'm asking you the question because I'm a very simple guy. I was in 1972, I bought my first Krugerrand in Hong Kong because it was illegal for Americans to own gold. Right. But the reason everybody says you don't buy gold is because it had no yield. And is it? Is it accurate with you the more that the price or the yield on bonds or your interest on bonds goes down? Doesn't that affect the price of gold?
2: That's generally correct. If bonds are competing with, sorry, if gold is competing with money markets, let's say, well, let's flip from bonds to the money market because that's the most liquid form. Uh, money market funds, uh, bank CDs, uh, you know, short-term investments, et cetera. If gold is competing with these, money market or substitutes in money market funds, and their rate is zero and gold yield is zero, then it's a fair fight. Now it's all about capital gains. Now you obviously, we already talked about in the last segment how you can make 10 times your money uh, in capital gains on, on price of gold. But if you're comparing yield to yield, even assuming the price is gonna be constant, it's a fair fight. If they're both at zero, then take a pick.
0: So um, what I'm asking you is this, when I was this young kid, I didn't understand. I never understood bonds. I understand debt, right? You know, because I'm a real estate guy. And the, the interest rates went down. I got happier as Larry. You know, we could yeah. buy more real estate. And I never right. understood why would I put my money in a bond, but I understood gold because nobody could mess with it. You know, there was no counterparty risk to it. It was just right. gold.
2: And well, so, when, when you're when you're borrowing money for real estate, in effect, you're issuing bonds because somebody yes. somebody's taking the Kiyosaki note. He's the bondholder, but yes, yes. I uh, issue bonds. But many many years that you want to be in the real estate side of that. You want to be the borrower, not the investor. That's correct. Not, not the yeah. Bond investor, right?
0: And so I'm ignorant when it came to bonds. That was a whole thing, and and but now Kim and I have a lot of gold and a lot of silver, just because we saved money in gold and silver. We didn't. We just kept using debt to get rich.
2: Sure. Well, you kept issuing debt, but now we're talking about buying debt. Uh, and uh, for for the investor, for someone with money, absolutely have your gold and silver, but I'd have some uh, treasury notes side by side because they're they're set up for very large capital gains because interest rates are gonna go even lower. And and the people say they can't go lower. My answer is, you know, just watch because uh, uh, Germany has negative rates. Japan has negative rates. The US still has positive rates. Rates could go a lot lower.
0: So that's what we, as, as people, we gotta pay attention to those rates. Yeah. No, so I, know, I know. It. I know
3: you have one more question. I just want to jump in yeah. here for a second because Jim, you made a comment early, and it just kind of passed by. You said the new Great Depression. Are we in a new Great Depression?
2: We are. Uh, and by the way, thank you for mentioning my last book, Aftermath. And no, if you have a copy of Aftermath handy, go to page pages two eighty eight to two ninety one. Now, this book came out in July two thousand nineteen. In those pages, I say there'll be a pandemic in the next three years, and there'll be social disorder riots in the streets. Well,
0: it's your fault. So, <laughs> it's your fault. We knew it was you. That, well,
2: <laughs> the, the, anyone who read that book can't say they weren't warned. So again, to, read the whole book by all means, but
0: in, in the book, it, the road to ruin you warned also that there are military vehicles stationed all around America getting ready for the riots.
2: Sure. And, and uh, we were even closer with the with the book, Aftermath. So everything we're seeing now was in that book. We have a new book coming out, January 12th, is publication day, it's available for pre-sale on Amazon. But Kim, to your point, the title of the book is The New Great Depression, Winners and Losers in a Post-Pandemic World. Uh, so if Aftermath, a year ago, told you where we are today, this book will tell you where we're going to be a year from now or even further ahead.
3: Can you give us a hint?
2: Uh, well, we are, we are in a depression. A lot of people don't know what a depression is because they, um, first of all, no one's ever lived through it. If, if you have a living memory of a U.S. depression, you are 90 years old. And my mother's 90, so she remembers it. We still talk about it, but you're 90 or older if you remember the depression. So very very few people in that category. Most people have never lived through a depression. They don't know what it is. They assume it must be a continuous declining GDP. It's not. Uh, two two quarters of GDP. Declining GDP is the technical definition of a recession. But a depression means depressed growth. You can have growth in a depression, it's just the growth is below potential. So if your potential is three, three and a half percent, and your actual growth is one and three quarters percent, that gap between, say, three and a half and one and three quarters, that gap is depressed growth. Now, if your debt is going up five, six, seven, eight percent a year, which it is, and if your growth is 1.5%, a year, which it is, which it will be um, in, in my forecast, then your debt to GDP ratio, when your debt's going up faster than your income, you're going broke. It's as simple as that. But but people aren't, uh, we're looking at intergenerational changes. And, and again, it all comes out of the COVID pandemic, but the pandemic, the social unrest and the depression that all converged in 2020, This is we're not going to be out of this in 30 weeks or 30 months. It's going to take 30 years to get out of it. A lot of people don't know the stock market reached a certain level in 1929. Do you know when it, we it crashed 90%, do you know when it regained the 1929 level, when it got back to the 1929 level? 1954. It took 25 years to get back to where it was in 1929.
0: The Dow hit 381 and it took till 1954 to hit 381 again. Correct. But, but it went down to, it went down
2: to about 30.
3: So what's the name of your book coming out, Jim? I'm going to get it. Uh,
2: the new, the new Great Depression. Right, thank you. All right, that's such an exciting book.
0: I can't wait. To get it. <laughs> <laughs> well, better, better see it coming than to get run over. Yes. No kidding. But, uh, such great news we got for everybody today. But anyway, <laughs> the good news and bad news about the depression. But anyway, the uh, last thing is. Uh, chapter six tells
2: you, Chapter six tells you how to make money. I remind people that uh, Joseph P. Kennedy became one of the richest men in America by shorting stocks ahead of the great depression. So uh, you can make money in depression, just have to see it coming.
0: Anyway, the the last question is the debate between inflation and deflation, you know, and I don't know if you pay attention to Peter Schiff, but his definition of inflation and deflation are different than your definition of inflation and deflation. And so the yeah. question is, are we heading for wheelbarrow money? You know, where it takes a wheelbarrow of money to buy a loaf of bread or are we, uh, what else are we going into? So. Take it away. Uh, we're
2: pro- yeah, we're probably, uh, I had a debate with Peter on this recently. He kind of reminded me of the, uh, forget the character of Manhattan, maybe from Alice in Wonderland. He said, Words mean exactly what I say, uh, no more, no less. Peter has Peter has a definition of inflation that may work for him, but it doesn't work for the Federal Reserve, the European Central Bank, the United States Treasury, or anybody who's trying to figure things out. So uh, I use uh, consumer price inflation. I mean, just to be a little technical, the Fed uses something called Uh, personal consumption expenditure deflator year-over-year. That's a technical name, but it's basically just their personal uh, core, by the way, uh, core PC deflator year. It's just their personal definition of inflation. That's the one I use. It doesn't matter if I agree with it or not. If I'm trying to figure out the Fed and the markets, I better use the same tools the Fed is using or else I'm going to miss it. So anyway, we're in for deflation, not inflation. We may get to inflation. we will we'll, we'll probably end up there. I agree it will end up there. But we're going to go, we're actually living through a deflationary episode right now. And everyone's like, oh, look at all the Fed money printing. They, they printed $3 trillion in the last six months, which they did. They did print $3 trillion in the last six months. So that's going to cause inflation. No, that's what Milton Friedman said. Milton Friedman was wrong. The Austrian economists are wrong. Peter Schiff is wrong. Everybody, I'll tell you why. I'm not just going to throw this stuff out there and not explain it. Money supply has nothing to do with inflation. Inflation is caused by velocity, which is the turnover of money. So let's just say you took the money supply from $4 trillion to $7 trillion, which is what the Fed did. Nominal GDP is money supply times velocity. This is just the quantity theory of money. This is Milton Friedman's Famous equation which actually goes back to Erie Fisher in the 1920s. Well, they took the money supply to 7 trillion. Okay, what's 7 trillion times zero? It's zero. In other words, if you don't have velocity, you don't have an economy. The thing that drives inflation is not the money supply, it's the turnover of money. That's the that's the velocity. That's the zero in my case. Velocity has been dropping since 1998. It didn't start in 2008. It didn't start in 2020. It's been dropping like a stone since uh, 1998. And it's getting closer to zero. So the fact wait, wait, wait,
0: Jim. What does velocity mean?
2: But velocity is the turnover of mice. Let me give you a very simple example. So let's say I go out for dinner and I tip the waiter. And the waiter takes my tip and she takes the taxi cab home. And tips the taxi driver. And the taxi driver takes the tip and fills up his car with gasoline, okay? In that example, my dollar had velocity of three. There was the the waiter tip, the taxi driver tip, and the gasoline. So my dollar supported $3 of goods and services. So that's velocity of three. What if I stay home and watch TV and don't spend any money? The velocity is zero. That's the point. It's not how much money you print. It's whether people are lending and spending. And they're not. And it's psychological and the Fed cannot control the psychology and you've got to change the psychology get out of that deflationary problem, which by the way, the only guy who did it successfully was Franklin Delano Roosevelt in 1933. And how did he do it? He raised the price of gold.
0: So anyway, you know, this, we could go on and on and on and follow this. So when the fed is printing money, you know, PPP and cares act and all this stuff, which is helicopter money for everybody, it doesn't cause inflation because people aren't spending it.
2: Correct. That's exactly right. And, and so, and, and the decision to spend or not is psychological. How do you feel? Do you feel prosperous? Do you feel like it's all good? Life's going to get better? Or I'll go out and you know, drinks on me, or you stay home and watch TV. That's, just, that's, that's a binary psychological choice.
3: <laughs> and, and I heard that's happened a lot with uh, companies and all that got the PPP money. They were nervous about what was going to happen, so they're they're sitting on it. They're sure. not
2: well. So they're I mean, not spending well, it. Well, you're right. You're absolutely right, Kim. It's in the data. The uh, personal savings rate uh, in May it was 33%. In June, it was uh 24%. In July, it was still 17%. Before the pandemic, it was between five and 8%. So savings rates have tripled or quadrupled. And that, that is what's actually happening. Those are Chinese levels of savings. So people are not spending the money and they do, if they write a check, they're paying off debt. It was, they're not using it for consumption.
0: So the final question to you is that uh, when I buy gold and silver, the velocity stops.
2: Yeah, because you, you know, I'll speak for myself, you buy gold, you put it in a, in a vault and uh, you sit on it. Well, I'm not spending the money.
0: That's, and that causes deflation.
2: Correct, and that's why Franklin Delano Roosevelt confiscated the gold before you, before before he raised the price because it was the ultimate insider trade.
0: Everybody, I mean, like I said, you know, G- James Rutgers is the man of this time. And it's an honor to have you part of the Rich Dad uh, radio programs, hey, nice to call you as a friend our new book will be coming out called the Ravens. I'm excited about reading your side of it so I can write my side of it. And yeah. <laughs> cause we, we, we come at it from different points of view, but we come to the same solution, you know, buy gold or silver or, you know, know what you're doing.
3: And when does your new book, Jim, come out? The new great depression.
2: The new great depression comes out January 12th. Uh, but I've already finished writing it. Of course, it's going to get to the printers and boxed and shipped and, distributed. So uh, in terms of what I'm writing now, I'm working on the Ravens. I'm uh, looking forward to that, but yeah, you know, the new, new great depression available on Amazon Barnes and Noble comes out January 12th.
0: And please everybody read uh, Jim Rucker's books. Everyone is an adventure story. So we're going to thank you, Jim. Look forward you, to, working, Jim. to working with the future. Thanks Robert. Thanks right. thank you. Have a wonderful day. Thank you. We'll be right back. Welcome back, Robert Kiyosaki, at Rich Dad Radio Show, the good news and bad news about money. You can listen to the Rich Dad Radio program anytime, anywhere on iTunes, Android, and YouTube, and please leave us a review if you like what you heard, or if you dislike what you heard, and listen to our podcast. All of our all of our programs are archived at richdadradio.com. We archive them because we don't sell anything. We're a pure educational company. So if you listen to this program again, you'll learn twice as much, and if you discuss it with friends, family, and business associates, you'll learn out what, what idiots they are. Anyway, that's the good thing about discussion. And you'll learn a lot more about your idiot friends. Any comments, Kim?
3: Well, this was this was fascinating. I mean, I love talking to, to Jim. And and he goes way into the technical, but he just made some excellent points. And I am looking forward to his new book, The New Great Depression, um, because he is not painting a pretty picture. So he does say there is a chapter in there where you can learn how to make money in this depression because – and I, I like his – his definition that it's the velocity of money and people are not spending money and they're scared right now in this pandemic and they're sitting at home and they're watching TV. And if anything, maybe they're getting some takeout, but otherwise they're pretty much cooking at home and well, they're not shopping.
0: That's not who I feel. I feel for all those guys who restaurants are closing and people are losing their jobs and bartenders. And millions I mean, people are getting millions. crushed right now on this fake pandemic. You know, it's really fake
3: and there's no reason they should not
0: be opening yeah, up today. This is, this is, You know, I just cannot believe what's happening. I mean, this is the worst thing I've ever seen. Anyway, Sarah, what did you think about Jim? Well,
3: I, you know, we've kind of had a summer of great knowledge, right? We've had some great guests on Harry Dent and Peter Schiff has come on a couple of times and, Um, So it's interesting to see everybody's different perspectives. Jim's kind of makes the most sense, you know, when he talks about the velocity of money, because we've had eight months of no spending. And so what are the long term effects of that non-spending? And I think his book will be a timely release in January because we'll start to find out what happens, um, because hopefully by then, you know, we'll be able to the economies will be able to open up stores, will be able to open up restaurants and we'll kind of hopefully be able to see clearer after what's happened. It's a little bit scary, but. When
0: you talk about no spending, think about the people who lost their jobs.
3: Yeah.
0: Right. You know, they got nothing to spend now because the the 60 days or 90 days of money they gave them because the Democrats hate Trump so much, they're holding up the new, as as Jim was, it's not a stimulus, it's a handout. Right. But now people today are going to, foreclosures are going to jump all those airline passing 39,000 airline pilots lost their jobs, plus flight attendants, plus ground crew, plus airports, plus all the shops in the airports, plus the hotels. That's at not that. stopping spending. No, and look at There's that. nothing to spend.
3: Right. And all the, and all the, all the sporting events that have closed. I mean, that's major, major dollars, professional sports, college sports, bringing all that money into the college towns, bringing all that advertising mm-hmm. dollars. It's I, I just, it, it this, just blows me away. The whole world economy is just shut down.
0: So it's really a tragedy, but that's why I was getting out with you know, Jim, $15,000 goal makes Kim and I rich. But unfortunately what it means to me is a lot of people also getting very poor and that's the real tragedy. And in Jim's book, The Road to Ruin, he talked about the rioting and they had to have armored trucks and all this. This is years ago. And now you look at all the rioting going on. Holy moly. And uh, the election hasn't happened yet, and you know Trump's going (laughs) to appoint another Supreme Court justice, and you know if there's no election and it's contested, and then Nancy Pelosi becomes president, oh my God, you know it's it's nothing wrong with Nancy. It's just the country it's will go to hell. It's the
3: philosophies of these different parties that Well, are, it's it's uh-huh. just
0: there'd be so much chaos, which makes gold even more valuable. <laughs> That's the good news.
3: We'll get to that 15,000 a lot quicker
1: <laughs> than <Yeah>. 2025. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, you're gonna wish you had some gold. <laughs>
0: and you know, I still say silver is the best investment because everybody can afford 20 bucks. That's how much a yeah. silver e- eagle costs. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, it's always good news and bad news about money. Thank you for listening to the Rich Dad Radio Program. And thank you to our friend Jim Records. What's his website, Kim?
3: Uh, website is dot JamesRecordsProject.com. Oh, JamesRecordsProject.com.
0: He's a very okay. smart guy. Be. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Rich Dad Radio program.